Well, good morning. My name is Dan Spino. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, it's been a great morning. We're in time of worship, worshiping our King in song and prayer and having this great intergenerational moment, getting to see so many of the kids and uh, some of our staff kids <laughs> in video. And I was like, man, those, those poor kids. <laughs> they make illustrations. They're used for videos. They're, uh, if you're joining us online too, thank you for uh, joining us online. Welcome. Yeah, it's good to be worshiping with you as well. Uh, and currently, I serve as our Belong Pastor, so that's my current title here on staff. In a few weeks, it's going to be changing. I'm going to be moving into our train ministries, become our train pastor. Uh, and what that exactly means, I can't necessarily articulate well for you. Um, there's a bit of a blank canvas in front of me, and I love that. Uh, I'm excited about stepping into that blank canvas and filling it with ways to help us grow closer to knowing God. Um, God our Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And today, our text is going to align well with this, so I'm really excited that I get to preach in general and preach on this text, because uh, it really aligns well with my heartbeat. Um, I want to take a moment and just pray for us. I know we spent some time in prayer. Uh, I just want to use this so to kind of like transition us, right, to ready us for what God has for us in his word. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for this space to be able to come and gather and worship you. We thank you for the work that you are doing. May you continue to do your good work in the lives of your people as we live out our faith and various vocational callings and avenues of life that you call us to. And now, Father, I ask that you would just help us to transition. Help us to come out of this, like, you know, lighthearted fun. It's good to laugh. I'm glad that we have laughter, that we can laugh as a church family and help ready our hearts now for what you ha might have for us. Remove the distractions. Help us to get, gain focus. And use me as you will, as an instrument for your glory. I ask this in your name. Amen. Well, I don't have any like intro story or illustration uh, for you. Uh, we're just going to jump right into the text. Uh, I want to do that today. So today we're going to continue in our Sermon on the Mount series, if you've been with us. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is found in the Gospel of Matthew. It's chapters 5 through 7. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew is like the first book of the New Testament. So it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible if you're looking for it. Uh, and specifically, we're going to be in Matthew 7, uh, verses 7 through 11. Uh, and I want to read the text for us, um, and we'll have it for you up on the screen as well. So let me read Matthew 7, <clears throat> verses 7 through 11. <clears throat> Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? I wish I had more time. I really wanted to read the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. I want you to hear the heartbeat of Jesus' sermon. <clears throat> then it helps us understand what this text is and what this text is not saying, when you can kind of understand the whole. And the context is so important. And we're going to get there in a brief moment. For our time today, I wanted to hear that our main idea is simply seek your heavenly father and keep on seeking him. Seek your heavenly father and keep on seeking him. We're told here to be persistent in our faith, to keep after it. 
So let's take a look first. Let's take a look at our text. Let's dissect it a little bit and let's take a look at some of the grammar, some of what we have in front of us. This is a good practice for all of us when you're reading God's word to just to slow down, to like really see what is there. What, what is being said? What is Jesus saying in this text? Ask questions of the text. Read the surrounding passages, like what comes before, what comes after. And let me just say, you can trust your English Bible this is good. This is God's word manifest for us. We, we get to read this. You can trust it. So let's take a look. Jesus implores us to ask, to seek, and to knock, and to keep on doing this. He says it twice, once in verse 7, and again, verse 8. He highlights this. And when we do these things, there is a direct correlated response. The text says, you ask, and it is given. You seek, and you find. You knock, and it is open. So naturally, we should just kind of pause there and we should ask, well, wait, who, who's doing the giving? Somehow I'm asking, the text says, and then something is given to me. Well, let's take a further look at the context of this passage. Jesus is using a metaphor of a parent-child relationship, and he kind of compares that to our heavenly father and to his sons. There's something that is given from one to the other. A parent gives something to a child. And using this like if-then language, he's drawing the comparison, he tells us that our heavenly father gives to his child. And when the parent being compared to the heavenly father, so the child must be compared to a child of our heavenly father. That's the specific context. It's a parent-child relationship. So then we can safely say, we, sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, are asking, and our Heavenly Father is giving. We are knocking, and He is opening. Text says, we seek, and we find. Slightly different there. So what we have to take from the surrounding passage, like like from what he just said about, about seeking and knocking, we have to understand there's these parallels here. He's giving us three things. They all kind of line up together. What he's implying is that though we're both the ones seeking and finding, it's only with our heavenly father's help. It's a direct parallel to the ask and knock statements. So the summary then for just, you know, critical point number one, the summary then is you, son or daughter of the heavenly father, ask, seek, and knock, and the heavenly father will respond appropriately. He will give, find, and open. That's that's what this text is all about. That's the first critical point of understanding this. Ask, seek, knock, and there's an appropriate corresponding response. And it's not just one and done. We're to keep on asking to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking. It's a, it's a continual journey. It requires persistence on our part and steadfastness on our Heavenly Father's part. All right, then second, let's keep working through the text. What do we do with the bread, stone, and, and fish, serpent? What do we do with these? Well, I don't think there's any spiritual significance implied to these items themselves, these are common elements that they would have understood in this context. They, they know, like, they understand what the, the bread could look like a stone and how a fish could look like a serpent. There's certain fish that might look that way. Today, it'd be like saying, if your son asked for a marker, you wouldn't hand him a pen knife. That would harm him and would not satisfy what he's asking for. 
So Jesus is using common elements both for that which is asked for and that is, what, that is what not asked for, the bread and the stone, to draw out the point. What is given matches what is asked for. And then he says, if you, though you are human, you who are of this world, you who are evil, you who are sinful flesh, if you know how to give good gifts, wouldn't we then assume that our heavenly father would also be able to give good things as well. Note the text says, how much more? As if we should understand that there's a vast difference between the heavenly father and us. What he can give is so much more than what we can give. It's vastly different. We can have a relationship with our heavenly father, but we cannot fully be like him. There's attributes of him that we can take on, that we can be and live into, but we cannot fully be like him. He is wholly other. And not only that, but the thing that is given matches what is being asked for. You wouldn't give a stone if someone asked for bread. Neither will our Heavenly Father misalign the answer to your prayer when you ask and seek and knock. Just as a parent doesn't give a gift that looks like the real thing, but actually gives the real thing, so too our Heavenly Father won't give a gift that looks close to the real thing. He will give the real thing. And these gifts aren't meant, to, they're not meant for harm. Yes, there might be suffering, there might be discipline, there's gonna be consequences for sin in your life for sure. God's gonna use those in some way. But here, what he's saying is when you ask, and we're gonna talk about what are you asking for in a brief moment, he'll give, he'll respond in kind. If the earthly parent is contrasted to our heavenly father, perhaps we need to realize that the earthly thing, the good thing, that we give is also contrasted against the heavenly thing that he gives. It's something even greater, right? He's, he's saying, if then, how much more? There's like this distancing. You're giving a gift and the heavenly father is giving something. How much greater is that something? So that then leads us to the third point. And for that, we have to understand the context of this whole passage. Reading the whole sermon really helps us here, but we don't have time to do it now. But instead, let me just, I'm gonna give you a short overview of the whole Sermon on the Mount. I wanna encourage you, you have some time, just take, some, take 12 minutes, read through it, just read through it, start to stop, just listen, listen to what Jesus is saying because the context is so important. It flows something like this. First, in the Beatitudes, we have a pattern of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ in God's kingdom, to be a blessed one. And we learn that it's impossible to live into this except by the Holy Spirit at work in us. We then see that there's this pattern for, of life followers of Christ. This pattern of life for followers of Christ as opposed to what the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching, this kind of traditional understanding of the law. You have heard it said, but I tell you, right? Passages like that. Jesus gives us how then to live in light of God's calling and kingdom. And we see that in 517 through 48. He then goes on to this like triplet pattern of God seeing and knowing your true intentions. In Matthew 6, 1 through 18, this, this triplet of the secrecy. I hope you caught that in all three of those sections. It talked about your father seeing in secret, it says. Not about encouraging us to give or, or to pray or to fast so that others see. That's not what the text is saying, but rather it says in secret where your heavenly father sees in secret. 
Then there's a threefold heart check regarding treasures and, and being anxious and judging others. And then we get to this passage here today, which is like a warning passage for like the warning passages that are about to come. Because right after this are three warnings for those outside the kingdom. It's the narrow road, tree and fruit, and the statement, I never knew you. And then Jesus will wrap up his sermon with his concluding remarks, and that's, that's for the sermons for the next few weeks. We're not going to get there today. But the context is so important when we come to this passage, because what comes before it kind of sets us up for this, and what comes after it helps us understand what is Jesus actually saying. Because when we come to that last verse, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask? The context is important. It can be a really, really tricky phrase, void of the rest of the sermon. And sadly, in our culture, in our church, in our church, when I say like our church, I don't mean like, you know, church, I mean West Shore Free Church. In our church, today we live our lives expecting something more than what, is, that what this verse truly offers. And it leads down two paths. The first path is a really bad theology that just spins off in all kinds of directions. Because if God will give us whatever we ask for, then how can a loving God send someone to hell? If God gives me whatever I ask for, then if I just pray more, I'll get whatever I want. Life will be easy. I will be healed. There'll be no trouble in life. And that is just not true. These are lies. That is not what this text is saying. The other path is of utter disappointment because if it says, I ask and God gives good gifts, any, any good gift, he gives good things, why isn't God giving me what I ask for? Can I truly trust God? Why is there pain and suffering and disappointment? That's also a misunderstanding of this text. Both paths lead to a destructive place and take you down roads that the text is not saying. When you hear the patterns and what Jesus is pointing to as listeners, you find that there's no place for either one of these paths, none. So what then is this text saying? This passage is all about seeking our heavenly father, specifically about the gift and assurance of salvation and of an ongoing relationship with him. In a similar passage, Luke eleven thirteen, it says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more is the gift that he's going to give? This isn't about just asking for stuff. The whole Sermon on the Mount is all about life and God's kingdom. We've taken several weeks, several months to kind of walk through this, this really like just rich treasure trove of scripture, this Sermon on the Mount. We've been going slow and, and rightfully so. I mean, like it's, it's been deep been mining our hearts and our souls. My guess is we could go through this whole series again and still just glean more and more. But if you aren't staying tethered to the text, if you're just coming here every Sunday morning and just waiting to hear something and then like you leave and you disassociate, you might get confused. But if you sit and read, if you read this sermon, you stay rooted to the text, you find the themes and the truth. When you read the whole sermon, the patterns start to become highlighted. There's this greater theme starts to stand out to you. The pieces all start to kind of fit together. I mean, Jesus has already started to underline, like, what do, how do we pray? What does prayer look like? And in 6.8, it says, for your heavenly father knows what you need before you even ask him. In 6.9 through 13, he outlines how we ought to pray. And, and don't miss out on your will be done 
Give us our daily bread. Again, in Matthew 6, 31 through 33, it talks about the, the anxious passage. It says, for the Gentiles seek after these things, the, the food, the drink, the clothing, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom. He's already taught them about prayer and about praying with a proper perspective on who God is. Jesus is now taking them to a deeper level of their relationship with their heavenly Father. He's calling his followers to more. He knows that what he's saying about life and God's kingdom is hard. He understands that. He's not just saying, hey, here's a sermon, deal with it, right? You guys got this. No, he comes here and he says, listen, everything I've just been saying about life in the kingdom and what I'm about to tell you, it's hard stuff. But if you ask and you seek and you knock, if you ask for strengthening your relationship with your heavenly father, if you ask for more of the fruit of the spirit, if you seek him and knock for him, he will answer in kind and give you good gifts that align with what you are asking, seeking, and knocking for. Gifts of the kingdom. As Don Carson points out, uh, he's a pastor and theologian, uh, he's a professor at a university. He, he, he says, he is the heavenly father, God is the heavenly father, the God of the kingdom, who graciously and willingly bestows the good gifts of the kingdom in answer to prayer. That's what this passage is about. There's a persistence and urgency to asking and seeking and knocking. It's not just one and done. We need help every day living into this kingdom calling. Jesus understands that. The other day I was in Lowe's with a friend and we were walking through the window section and there was this like red button. I, you know, I can still see it. It was like right here. And as I'm walking by, I'm like, huh, wait a second. Like, I want to like, something, I've never had this happen before. Like, I want to like push this button, right? So like, I'm standing here like with this like, I even come, I'm like, dude, like, I want to push the button. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what's coming over me right now. And this employee comes up, he sees us. He's like, you guys need help? And I'm like, no, man, I'm just having this like existential crisis right now. Like, I've never had this happen. Like, I don't know what's going on. I want to push this button. He's like, yo, he's like, check this out. Every once in a while in Lowe's, like there's a call out that says like customer assistance needed to the garage door area. When you push the button, that's what happens. It calls out in an automated voice, wherever you are. In this case, it would have been the window area, right? So he's like, every so often it just goes off. So we go to the garage door area and we look everywhere and there's no button. There's, there's no button. There's no customers. There's no button. We can't figure out what's going on. He's like, the other day we had an executive from like Lowe's here. He's like walking through the store and like, Every five minutes now, this thing is just going off. It's like customer assistance needed to the garage door area. He's like, we go to the garage door area and like we tore the whole thing apart looking for this button and there's no button. He's like, we could not figure out what's going on. Finally, it came to light that there was a manager like up in the office, you know, like up in the sky there on the second level we don't get access to. It's like up there. And apparently this manager was having the same existential crisis I was because there was a button near his desk. And he was just like, what does this button do? <laughs> and he just kept pushing it. And I'm sure it was saying, like, customer assistance needs the garage door. But that's like white noise for these guys, right? That stuff goes off all day long, right? Like, it's hard to hear that anymore. And I don't know how it came to light, but they finally realized, like, oh, <laughs> that's, they were able to put two and two together. 
No more tearing the garage door apart. If you need help in Lowe's at the garage door section, go to the customer service. What this text is telling us then is that when you call out to your heavenly father for help in matters of righteousness, or if you don't yet have a relationship with your heavenly father, or if you need help just living out what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, or just just everything in the Bible that God has for us to live in a relationship with him, your heavenly father who sees in secret will not be confused by your prayer. He's not going to wander around and just be like, hey, who just pushed the prayer button? Who's asking, seeking, and knocking? I don't, I don't know who that is. Like, I'm so confused. God is not like that. No. He will run to you. That's what Jesus is telling us. When you ask and you seek and you knock for more of God's kingdom, oh man, God will answer that prayer. The next time you're out shopping and you hear like overhead, like, you know, customer assistance, whether it be automated or maybe a voice, like just, just stop and just take that as your cue to just cry out, Father, I need your help. I want more of your kingdom. Help me. I know where the bread in the grocery store is, but I want more of the bread of life. Father, help me. I'm asking, I'm seeking, and I'm knocking, and he will answer There will not be a misalignment of response. He won't give you a stone or a serpent or a penknife that will harm you. He he won't do that. He'll, He'll respond in kind when you're asking for matters of righteousness, for God's kingdom. He'll do that. He'll give good things according to his will, according to his glory, and most importantly, because he loves his children. And he wants to see your relationship with him grow. I'm not promising the easy life here, folks. That's not what I'm saying. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. There's going to be hardness in life. I want so badly to just tell you, like, hey, whatever you ask for, God will give it to you. That just, that's a false bill of goods. I can't say that to you. That's a lie. If, however, if what you're asking for is your relationship with your heavenly father, whether it be starting one for the first time or perhaps pressing into how to live as a child of God in his kingdom, he will answer that. When you knock, he will answer. When you seek, he will find. When you ask, it will be given. So fourth thing, like, what makes asking and seeking, knocking so hard? Why don't we do this regularly? If you're taking notes, I got seven things I'm gonna share with you today. First, there's no getting around this. There are some, as we'll learn in the next three sections, who don't know our Heavenly Father and who won't know our Heavenly Father Jesus says in Mark 4, 12, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. There are some that just will be outside the kingdom, and that's, that's hard for us to hear. That's a hard truth. But know that if God moves in your heart to call on his name, to ask, to seek, to knock, he will answer. He will not abandon you. If you can identify your need for a savior, God will be quick to respond. Second, God is not like our human relationships. Our earthly relationships will let us down. They will. And if my boss, my parent, my friend, my spouse, my teacher, my neighbor, 
boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, if they can let me down, then I just assume that God will let me down too, right? Isn't that what we assume? I, lo- I mean, I love and I struggle with this text. I, I don't get it. I'm standing here preaching to myself, to be honest with you. My earthly relationships disappoint me. They let me down. They hurt me. And throw in the rest of life, which is just straight up hard. And on top of like all of that, if that's not enough, like I am a sinner. Paul says he's chief among sinners. I'm like, brother, get in line. I don't know. I am full of sin. I often feel so defeated that I can't find the strength to ask, to seek, to knock, or I doubt that it actually matters. Maybe you could relate. Our Heavenly Father is not like other human relationships, though. We need to know that. When he calls us his children, as we read in Romans 8, he sustains the relationship with us, and nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Here's, here's four things. I mean, I just randomly picked four. It started with three, got the four, I stopped there. Four things to know about our Heavenly Father to help you understand and strengthen your relationship with Him. First, He is perfect. I share these with you so you can understand. He's different. He is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. I won't read all the verses. This one's almost a direct quote. Your Heavenly Father is perfect. It says verbatim. Matthew 5, 48. Second, He is unique and He stands alone. Check out Isaiah 45, 21 through 22. There is no God like him, none. Third, he is steadfast and faithful. That's in the Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. Man, caution there, read the passage, read the surrounding text. Don't take the cookie there. But he is steadfast and faithful. That is true. It's a beautiful song by Sarah Groves about he's always been faithful Four, he is, he is love and compassion for his children. And that's Psalm 103, 11 through 14. If you make it that far, if you get to Psalm 103, just read the whole thing. There's about seven or eight things about God in there alone. The list goes on. He is God. He is our heavenly father. There is no one like him. And our heavenly father will not give his children everything on their wish list. He's not going to do that. And that's good for us, frankly, He might give you some of the things. He might give you some things that maybe come like at a different time than than what you expect. You might experience discipline. You're going to go through some hard things in life for sure. But know that our Heavenly Father will give his children gifts for our sanctification. And when you ask for more of his righteousness, he will respond. That's how great our God is. Third, we distort the gospel and we don't address sin. Listen, here's the gospel message. I'm not the most eloquent. This is the best I got. God created us all in his image, but sin entered the world and marred our image of him, how we live, and distorted our relationship with him. And now we are prone to sin by nature. Our flesh cries out to be fed. And throughout scripture, we learn that sin requires a payment. However, our offense is against God and nothing we can do on our own could make, make a satisfying payment to right our relationship with him. He is a holy God, and our sin has earned us death. We are lost. 
but God. God the Father sent his son, Jesus, who's both 100% God and 100% man. I get it. The math doesn't equate in your heads. I totally understand. It is 100% true, though, to satisfy the death sentence. He takes on God's wrath for us. He bears the punishment of our sin and actually dies in our place. He made him who knew sin to be sin such that the wages of sin being death has been satisfied in Jesus' death in our place. But it doesn't end there. He then rose from the dead and thereby actually conquered death so that whoever believes in him believes that Jesus is the son of God sent to take away the sins, whoever recognizes their need for him and then places their face in him and who has done what he has done for us receives the gift of mercy and of grace. We don't get the death that we deserve. Instead, we get the gift of eternal life and God's kingdom with him. Though one day we may actually die, the sting of death is gone. When we place our faith in Jesus and call upon him as our Lord and Savior, he hears our prayers. He gives us the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, to dwell inside of us, and our identity changes. We become a new person. We're only then able to live into our kingdom calling. And one day, friends, one day, all who have placed their faith in Jesus will get to see him face to face and say, thank you, my king and my savior. Yeah. And I'm sure that there's others who could have spoke more eloquently here and presented that for you. But for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. You need a savior. Let me also add that we really don't like to call sin, sin. We, we, we don't. We struggle with this. We don't talk about sin enough. It makes us uncomfortable. And perhaps we're afraid of offending someone. The trouble is, is that, you know, you might be offensive and that's a problem. Don't do that. But it's God's word that offends people, right? That's what sin is. We don't need to apologize for the truth of God's word. The other side of this is that we only like to highlight certain sins. Sexual sin, that is bad. But pride, that's okay. False doctrine, that's bad. But mistreating people, that's okay. We try to make the gospel message kind of fit our reality. We, we contort the truth to fit our agendas, to, to kind of support our arguments, to support our will, highlighting like just a piece of the truth instead of the whole truth. And we divide the church and lead others astray. Let those who have ears to hear, hear. Four, we flat out reject the gospel. We go back to the garden. Did God really say? Or the one that's creeping into our culture more and more. The Bible can be interpreted in different ways. There has to be more ways to heaven. If I'm good enough, then God will let me in. How could a loving God allow people to go to hell? I'm fine with all the love stuff, but let's not talk about the life that Jesus calls me to truly live as one of his disciples. Isn't love enough? From what I've heard and experienced, I believe that our biblical literacy is actually decreasing more and more. And I'm burdened by this. As I step into this new position, I mean, the, what's before me, I just want to share with you that nothing burdens me more than hearing false doctrine and seeing believers be slack in their faith. We're not having healthy conversations right now because we're all coming to them with different understandings of the truth of God's word. 
more to come on that in the months and years ahead as long as God gives me breath in my lungs. Fifth, we ask and we seek and we knock with one hand. We come asking and seeking and knocking while holding on to something else in our other hand. Like, God, I want you and I want. God, help me to grow in your righteousness and support my righteousness. God, humble me and support my pride. God, help others to see things how I see them, which, of course, is how you see them, right? How can we grow in our relationship with our Heavenly Father while clinging so tightly to our fleshly desires? Six, the sixth reason why asking and seeking is so difficult is that life is hard. Because it's, life can be so hard at times, it's often hard to hear God, to receive God, to interact with God. How long, oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? The psalmist cries out in Psalm 13. Later, the psalmist adds, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Now here, the distance between verse one and verse five is not as fast as we read in our Bibles, friends. That's a journey with God. Both are true. Life is hard. There's suffering. There's pain. There's loss. How long, O oh Lord? I need a new song. But so too is our Heavenly Father, full of steadfast love and able to fill your heart with rejoicing even in the midst of this. Seven, we replace the steak with a cupcake. And I know some of these overlap. I, I get that. I understand. But honestly, you need to hear this. And I'm trying to present this in different ways for us all because you need to hear this before we get to next week's sermon. Before we get to next week's text. And maybe even respond before we get there. So what do I mean by replacing the steak with a cupcake? Well, we are more satisfied we're, we're like, we're so fickle. We're, so, we're more satisfied with, say, like the idea of love than we are with the one who actually models love for us. We settle for surface answers that just make us feel happy. We hunger and thirst for things that temporarily fill us up, like, like cupcakes that don't actually satisfy the inner craving of our soul. Listen to these texts. We'll have them for you on the screen. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and, and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Or maybe, maybe you need to hear John, Jesus speaking in John 4, verses 10 and then 13 through 14, standing there with the woman at the well. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And later he says, everyone who drinks of this water, everyone who drinks from this water of this well that's standing in front of them, everyone who's like eating the cupcakes of life will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
Or maybe some of you need to hear Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of the discernment trained by the constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Crave the stake of the gospel, not the cupcakes of this world. Don't be satisfied with the noise and the distraction, the lies, the, the half-truths, the complicated dialogues that were, just, that were happening all around us. Focus. Focus. There's a steak right here for you, and it's the best piece of meat you will ever eat. It'll satisfy you. It'll satisfy your soul. Jesus says, come to me in Matthew 11, and I'll give you rest for your soul. Wherever, regardless of where you find yourselves in life, the heart of the matter is to seek God. We have two biblical witnesses that really get to this point. We have Job, who lost it all. He felt the depth of not being seen, heard, valued, loved. He felt forgotten and isolated, and he suffered massive loss. And he had some really particular friends that were not helpful for him at all. And conversely, we have Solomon in Ecclesiastes. He's the life of the party, overflowing with friends. Life is easy, seemingly in control of all things. More wealth than you could imagine, indulged in sins, and, and basically whatever he wanted, he had. Notice, though, the end for both of them is the same. In the face of unimaginable loss and difficulty, Job says in verse 42 and 5, he says, I know that you, Father, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And in the face of unimaginable gain and ease of life, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Bye-bye, cupcakes. Finally then, so what? So, so what do we do? What is it that you are asking, seeking, and knocking for? Do you, do you really want to see your relationship with your heavenly father grow? Do you, do you really want to know him more? Church family, what, like, what, what are we doing? Really, what are we doing here? What are we doing right now? Are you just playing church or, or playing Christian, just kind of going through the motions, wanting to like just check a box? Is Sunday morning just kind of in the way of your Sunday schedule to move on to the next thing? Do you connect your Sunday morning with your life throughout the whole, like the rest of the week? Are you regularly spending time in God's word, just your, your food for your soul? Are you just waiting for the next program to start? Are you maybe just seeking power and control and feeding your pride? Would you say that your walk with God is healthy and thriving? Are you actively seeking him? 
Now, I know the answer to this question is yes, but I'm gonna ask it. I wanna invite you to just like really like examine yourself before you answer and, and think about it. Do you really want God more than anything else? Do you? This is not about how to live the good life and to pursue a better version of yourself. This is about your relationship with your heavenly father. One of the underlying themes in this past year, and honestly, like throughout all of scripture, is God, how are you at work in my life in a way that draws me into a deeper relationship with you? Not my will, we can say with Jesus in the garden, but your will be done. What stands in your way of loving our heavenly father more than loving temporal things? I mean, when we look back on church history, when we look at like revivals, we look at like just God doing amazing things in like various bodies, various churches. And I'm not talking about going from like 10 to 1,000 attendees. That's not what I'm talking. I'm saying like God at work in the midst of people. These times are marked with this like travailing prayer, this calling out of sin and of this like persistent asking and seeking and knocking for God's will to be done and to know him more, to want him more. And when you do that, God stirs and God moves. There's a possibility for God to do wonders things for this body of belief, for West Shore Free Church. There is a possibility that we are not fully tapping into. If you want to see God do amazing things, ask, seek, and knock, and he will answer. And if we all start to ask, seek, and knock, oh man, the walls in this place are gonna come down. This text is all about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Do you want that more than anything else. So what then do we do? What in your life do you need to let go of so that you can ask, seek, and knock with both hands? There's gotta be something. We're all sinners. God wants your whole heart, not some, not part. He wants it all. And he wants to do a work in and through you. He wants to draw you into a deeper relationship with him. This isn't about stuff. It's about him being glorified in your life, his righteousness imputed to you, growing more and more. When God prompts you, we can be confident that he will, he will answer. When God prompts you to ask, seek, and knock, he'll meet you there. Second, if you don't have a relationship with your heavenly father, if you have not declared Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have not recognized your need for him and surrendered your whole life to him, to our Heavenly Father, let today be the day. Follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit calling you. If you want to pray with somebody, like come on front. We have a prayer team down front. Come on down and pray with them. Grab somebody that's wearing a green shirt and just talk with one of them. If you want to pray with somebody, go to the Welcome Center. You can talk with them there. If you want to just sit quietly by yourself and cry out your need for a savior, your father who sees in secret will answer you. He'll come to you. He'll answer that prayer. Don't delay. And friends, if you find yourself distorting the gospel, maybe not liking that there are some things that are sin, that hell is real, that the word of God is true, that it's trustworthy, and that it's not open to various interpretations, let me speak to you. Be careful. This isn't a game that you get to make up the rules for. This is life and death. 
We don't get to decide how to get to heaven. We have to follow him who leads us there. If you find yourself there and want to talk, know that our staff would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. The rest of Matthew 7 is going to address this, so take heed. Hear this warning today. Let me encourage all of you, ask, seek, and knock for more in your relationship with your heavenly Father. And he who is in heaven will hear you and provide for you. Let me pray. Father, I'm certain that I didn't do justice to your word. You are so holy, other. I long so much for my brothers and sisters to just hunger and thirst for you, for that which is lacking, may you fill up now. May you stir hearts. I will confess there are days where I am just, most days, where I'm just feeling so defeated. The best that I got is to say, Father, help I long for more of you. Help us all to long for more of you, to cry out wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves, to ask, to seek, to knock, to be persistent. Father, we trust that you will hear these prayers and that you will answer in kind. And we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your kindness to us. And let me just say, Father, if there's somebody's here whose name is already written in the book of life but has not yet declared their need for a savior, may you stir in them right now and do a mighty work. Stir in them. The days are short. We long to see you glorified. We thank you, Father, for hearing these prayers that are just quietly spinning right now in our hearts and in our minds. And we look for more and more of what you're going to do. Amen.